Hmm. Well, last week, we not last week, but two weeks ago, last week was prayer. This week was, the uh, week before that, we were on that. But uh, we started the, the Armor of God part. And just to review for you, I did put a note up on Facebook today that the last week's was up and available. It was actually available since the weekend. But just to make sure that everybody saw it, I just want to make sure that uh, we put that note up there. And a few people went up and, and checked that out. But he said, And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So just to review, we saw that this word finally means in the Greek, if you take the Greek word out, did I not bring the outlines over? Then they are over on the normal spot. <laughs> Little half-height wall. Thank you for taking care of that. When he said, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The word finally means if you forgot everything else that I wrote in this epistle. And then we listed all the different things and all the topics he went over. This is the most important. If you're going to forget everything else, don't forget this. This needs to stand out when I'm putting this at the end because I want this to be the last thing you hear from this epistle and I want it to be on your mind for a long time. Finally, my brother, that's what that word means. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So it's not our might that we are strong in, it's His. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And the emphasis here is on the whole armor of God. This is what he's emphasizing. Put on the whole armor of God. We cannot put it on in part. We must put it on in whole. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and heavenly, of wickedness in heavenly places. So then he goes on to verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So again, the emphasis is on the whole armor of God. And he uses the example in this of a Roman soldier. The helmet, the sword, the shield, the um, breastplate, the belt, the shoes, the different parts here. He uses this. But the emphasis is not, which is uh, so often the focus, and I think when Brother Doug came on by and ministered on, on this one time somewhere, he was talking about that, that sometimes even interchanges what faith is as far as the armor is concerned. So at one point it's a shield of faith, another time I think uh, righteousness was the shield, or but somehow he, he intermixed them like that. His emphasis, Paul's emphasis in this, is not that we understand the shield so we understand faith. Not that we understand the sword or the breastplate, or the helmet, so that we understand each of the pieces of armor. The emphasis is on the whole armor. He uses the Roman soldier because you never saw the Roman soldier with only partial armor. They could die or something, <laughs> something like that for, for those kind of things. They had the whole armor on. When they were out, they had the belt, they had the breastplate, they had the shoes, they had the helmet, they had the sword, they had the shield. They may or may not have had the lance. That may have been waited for, for uh, more combat type stuff. But if they were on guard duty, if they were somewhere, they had these pieces with them. And so we don't necessarily need to study what the Roman soldier pieces were to understand this because when he, he breaks this down, he first off says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What is the Roman soldier's armor to guard against? Flesh and blood. So our armor, our weapons are spiritual in nature, not physical. But too often we're relating these things to physical things and we're, you know, we go through the motions of putting on the helmet and putting on the sword and putting on the shoes and, and so forth. And we carnalize spiritual weapons. And we're not understanding what their real meaning is. So we, we said two weeks ago when we first introduced this, what we want to do is we want to go through these pieces of armor. We want to understand what each piece is, how... It is to operate. We want to go through the Word of God. We want to look at how has this piece of armor been used and how has the enemy nullified it. If we understand these things and we understand the spiritual aspect of the armor and not the carnal nature of it, 
which is represented in the shield, the sword, the breastplate, and so forth. So that's what we want to endeavor to do. And with that, we're going to pick up with our, our uh, verses here that we're getting into today. And that's going to be in verse 14. Well, we're just covering the one verse here today. It's going to be two pieces of armor. I was debating about going into the third one as well, but we're just going to stay with these two. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. And we've always heard this referred to as the belt of truth or, or the uh, having your loins with the, uh, they call it not loin something or other, I forget what that was called. But anyway, a, we'll call it the belt of truth here for this. If you look at the Roman soldier's belt, the Roman soldier's belt held in place many of the pieces of armor. You would have a, a, uh, a seath to put the sword into, which was attached to the belt. You would have a hook that you could put the shield on when you're not using it, so that it was there at the ready and, and with you. You would have uh, the breastplate tied itself into the belt so it wasn't just flopping around. That it held it in place so the breastplate was doing uh, something good. So the belt held together the uniform of the Roman soldier. And so he's talking about here, he's taking truth and relating it to that. If you want to see what the, the purpose of the, the, of the uh, Roman soldier uniform, if anything, it's saying that the belt is the center. Now, it's not the piece that gets all the attention. The pieces that get all the attention was that wonderful sword. Everybody likes the sword. If not the sword, we like to look at the shield. Nice, bright, shiny shield up there. If you... Uh, beyond that, look at the helmet. The helmet's got all those nice colors on it, that red stuff up there on the top. Oh, that looks pretty neat too. But you know, the belt, you can kind of lose sight of the belt. It's not really really in there a whole lot. But uh, this is where he starts. The belt of truth. This is the first part he's talking about. When we hear truth, we think the Spirit of God and the Word of God. The Word of God is the truth of God written, isn't it? And the Spirit of God, He is the revealer of truth. In John fourteen seventeen, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of truth. 15, verse 26, But when the Helper comes, when I shall, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. 16, verse 13, However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. So three different chapters there in John, we're talking about the Spirit of God as the Spirit of truth. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. After you heard the word of truth, the word of truth. So the word of truth and the spirit of truth. Ephesians 5 verse 9. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Ye are of God, little children. In 1 John 4 verse 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because who is in you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore they speak as of the world. And the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, truth is part of our armor, but along with truth comes error. There is error to come in there and try to corrupt the truth. And so, he's writing here to say, here's the truth. Error is here. Here's how you can discern truth. Here's how you can discern error. Because if I accept error as truth, will it protect me? No. Because once again, our battle is not flesh and blood, it's spirit. We must have the truth. If I accept a lie as the truth, I am unprotected. Unprotected. This is why it's so important that we as Christians study the Word of God to show ourselves the proof. Workmen need us not to be ashamed. We've got to know these things. We've got to study these things. So what makes truth such a vital part of the armor? Well, the first thing the enemy attacks in life of the believer is truth. It's one of the first things that the enemy will attack. 
when he comes to get us, he will attack us in the area of truth. Here's some examples. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3. Where did the devil attack? In the truth that they knew. There wasn't a whole lot of truth they had to hang on to, but one of the truths that they had to hang on to was, don't eat from the tree in the midst of the garden. You can eat of all the other trees in the midst of the garden. Don't eat of this tree. And so the devil came and he attacked. They didn't have you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They didn't have all those scriptures. They had, <laughs> don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Of all the other trees you may eat freely. Of the one in the center, don't eat of it. And so the enemy comes in and he attacks this by saying, Has God really said? Uh, and they say, Now God knows in the day you eat of it, you won't know both good and evil. So he is attacking the truth. If they had, if Eve knew the truth better, she would have defended herself better. The word of God tells us that Eve was deceived, Adam was not. Eve was deceived. Not getting into all that here tonight, that's just a. An example of the enemy coming in. When Israel was in Egypt, God had given them a promise, didn't He? I will bring you up out. Joseph said, when I die, do not bury me. And so then when, when you all are taken out, because God is going to take you out of this place, when He takes you out, you are to pick me up and you are to carry me with me and bury me in the promised land. And so for all those years, 400 years, Joseph is not buried. They're walking on by. Mommy, Daddy, how come that isn't? How come that's not buried? What we usually bury the? How come this one's not? Why is this one over here? Well, those are the bones of Joseph, and Joseph commanded us, and he said, "You shall not bury me in this land, but you shall bury me." In, and, and so forth. And they would tell him this, and so all this, all these years, these things were passed down. So as you get closer to the 400 years of, of captivity, and people are passing this down like they know Joseph. Oh, that's Joseph's bones. Yeah, we're, we're going to carry them up with us when we go. Joseph, did you know Joseph? No, I didn't know Joseph. Did Granddad know Joseph? No, I don't think Granddad knew Joseph. Did his daddy know Joseph? No, I don't think his daddy knew Joseph. It goes all the way back for all those times. This is truth. And so they knew that God, was, God is your promise keeper. He's your deliverer. He's your provider. These are the things that they knew about their God. He gave them a promise. I'm going to take you on out. Now, as they were getting through these 400 years, and God said in the beginning, now, you're going to be, a, you're going to be captive in the land for 400 years. It turned out to be 430 because of Moses' disobedience. But for 430 years, God said, for 400 years, you're going to be captive. He told them that in the beginning. They could have been counting. But instead of counting and listening to the Word of God, they became deceived and began to think, shouldn't God come now? Well, no, what did God say? He said 400 years. Well, it's not time yet. And they could have hung on to that. But see, the word got corrupted. And so they became impatient with God and they began to moan and groan and complain. So when Moses came on the scene, they were a little irritated. Oh, we don't even believe there was a, is a deliverer anymore. That's just a myth that was, that was started. All right, if you really want to go through it, go ahead. And then when things didn't go so well, we told you this wasn't going to work. You see, the truth had been attacked in them, hadn't it? When they are finally delivered out of Israel, with all those great signs and wonders that were done, they brought to the Red Sea, God is their deliverer. God has taken them out. They could just say, you know what? I stopped believing or not, but look at this. God has taken us out. I didn't think this would ever happen. Here we are. And now we're at the Red Sea. There's no place to go to the left, to the right. Straight ahead is the Red Sea. And behind them comes the enemy marching up with their army. And they all say, glory to God, He's going to deliver us, right? <laughs> what do they do? Grumble and complain. Because the enemy comes in and sows thoughts, will God truly deliver you from this great army? So the enemy comes in and he corrupts the truth. And so therefore they become vulnerable and they begin to doubt God. They begin to grumble and complain to God. They begin to not act in faith. And faith becomes the target and is pulled out. When they're out in the... In the wilderness. And there's no water. Is God their provider? But not right now, is He? Right now, I'm looking at no water. The thought comes in. God's not your provider. God's not looking out for you. Moses is not looking out for you. They all brought you out here to die. What do they do? Accept the thought. Because they are not girded about with truth. As soon as something challenges them in the natural. 
They don't hang on to the truth that they know in the Word of God. They immediately release it and they accept whatever thought the enemy wants to put in their head. Did it work out well for them? They eventually went through all those times of testing, got to the promised land, decided to reject God again, and God said, that's it, you all are not going in. Take your kids in and we'll do, that, do it that way. How about Moses? Moses is revealed that he is going to be the deliverer. God revealed to him that first off, these are your people. You were not born in a household of Pharaoh, but you were born to the Israelites. And he became knowledgeable of that, that they were his people, and that somehow God revealed to him that he was to be the deliverer. And so he went out and tried to do it on his own, and it didn't work. And so, instead of hanging on to that truth that God revealed to him, he rejected it and ran. And stayed out of the will of God for all those years. Took a burning bush to bring him on over to hear the Word of God. And then even when God is speaking the truth, you are the deliverer. You are the one that I've called to do this. You're going to go in there, and we're going to do this and this and this. What's he do? He's resistant to it. No, 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 you need to get another. No, 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 I'm not the one. Uh, everything's just fine here. I'm over here. Everything's comfortable. I got a wife. I got some kids. I got some stuff. We're all good. Go get somebody else. He's resisting that because, because else, so the enemy comes in and he challenges the truth that you know. Whether it's truth that's revealed in the Word or it's truth that the Spirit of God has revealed to you. He's going to come in and he's going to challenge it. And the first armor that we're, piece of armor that we're told is the belt of truth. Because the enemy is going to come in and try and attack the truth that we know. I know that Jesus Christ is my healer. Does he come in and try and attack that? I know that the Lord Jesus is my provider. Does he come in and try and attack that? I know that the promises in the Word of God are true and good and so forth, but but they seem to be good for everybody else but me, right? He's coming and he's trying to attack this. Hey, but Jeroboam. Jeroboam is given a word from a prophet God speaks to him and he says, I'm going to make of you an enduring house just like I did for David. Just walk before me and be blameless. Just walk before me like David did. And as soon as he gets the throne, what is the thought that comes into his head? If you remember back in the story of Jeroboam, he begins to think, as long as Israel keeps having to go to Jerusalem to offer the sacrifice, they will eventually tire of me and go back to the house of David. And then they will kill me and all all my household. So he said, here's what we'll do. See, once he accepts that that truth, we've challenged the word that God gave him. The word that God gave him was, I will make of you an enduring house. Is that not the truth of God that he revealed to him? So the devil comes in to attack it, to challenge it. And he comes in because, do you think that these people are going to stay with you forever? What should he have said then? The Lord said, if I follow after him, he will make of me an enduring house. Maybe he did say that the first time. But then the enemy comes back. You think they're going to keep going up to Jerusalem every year to make the sacrifice? And that they're going to continue to serve you? You don't think their hearts are going to get soft to the house of David? Come on. They're eventually going to go right back to the house of David. They're going to leave you in the lurch. Send you off. Probably kill you, your whole family, all your kids. Burn your house. Get rid of any, every memory of you. And he begins to entertain this thought. Well, yeah. They could do that. Hmm. And what's Jeroboam do? He creates his own religion. I'm going to make priests of all the people. No longer are you just going to be Levites. No, we're going to make... And it sounds good. Doesn't it? I mean, everybody is... Everybody should be able to be a priest. I mean, you... You, you would like to be a priest, wouldn't you? But you can't because you're born of this house. You're born in the house of Dan. And so you can't be a priest. I bet you'd like to be a priest. I've talked with you. I bet you, I, you told me how much you'd like to be a priest. I'm going to make you a priest. And then they accept it. And instead of the holidays that you've got, we're going to make new holidays. And instead of sacrificing to God the way we did before, we're going to do it this way. We're going to have a high place up here in Dan and another one down here in Bethel. And, of course, the, the, the uh, deceit went on. And Israel, the northern tribes, never had a godly king and never served God. Now, at the beginning, many left there and went into the southern tribes of Judah so that Judah became representative of all 12 tribes. All 12 tribes are represented in Judah. Not so in the, in the north. They had uh, 10 tribes. So Jeroboam was his way. How about Elijah? 
when Elijah is going strong, things are going good, but then all of a sudden, Jezebel, this time tomorrow you're going to be dead. And he runs away. And he gets out there before God and he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord. I'm the only one who's left. And now they seek to take my life. And God says, you're not the only one left. i got 7,000 beside you. Who told you you were the only one left? It wasn't me. It wasn't the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God would have said there's 7,000 beside you. But see, he became alone. The, the devil tried to challenge the truth that he knew to get him to feel isolated. What's odd is, Elijah, Elijah was always isolated. He's always isolated. Even though there were 7,000 other believers, even though there's other prophets, who's Elijah so, associate with? Nobody. He only associates with the widow because he has to for food. Otherwise, he's always by himself. He's always alone. He likes it that way. Some people like it that way. You know, you don't have to feel bad for Elijah if he wanted people. There's plenty of folks who would have said, Oh, Elijah, can we hang out with you today? <laughs> he would, but he don't want to. He likes to be by himself. Every time that you see him standing up to the king, who's with him? Nobody. David's got people next to him, doesn't he? Samuel's got people next to him. He's got servants. Elisha's got servants. Who's Elijah got? Nobody. Now, Elisha tags along for a while only because God said so. That's it. Now, these are ones who gave up on the truth, but how about some people who hung on to the truth? How about Daniel? Did Daniel know the truth? Did the enemy come in and try and compromise that truth? But Daniel didn't let it go, did he? Had, did Joseph know the truth? Did he know what God told him? Did he compromise that? He held on to it all that time. He held on to it. He served God. He was faithful. Never became bitter. Kept on going. Kept on going. And then one day, bang, he's in the, in the throne. Because he was faithful all that time. How about Jeremiah? Did people come along and try and get Jeremiah to compromise the Word? They tried to beat the Word of God out of him. They tried to make it so that he got so tired of giving the Word of the Lord. And for a little while, he, he did. He said, you know, the pain of putting it out was just, he was just too, hurt too much. So he, he, he stopped doing it. And then I think he wrote in his, uh, in his uh, scripture there, the pain of keeping it in was greater than the pain of putting it out. So he went back there to preaching the Word of God. <laughs> and they kept beating him and throwing him in prison and doing all sorts of stuff. But he kept on going, preaching the Word of God. He's not going to let it go. There's victory in that. Abraham. We know that initially he, he compromised a lot of things. But then he began to be stronger and stronger and stronger. And he wouldn't compromise. Even when God said, take your son, your only son, the son you love, and sacrifice him. He said, okay. Let's go. The truth. Over in Matthew chapter 13, we've been studying this on the Sunday mornings. The sower sows the word. The word is the word of God. Or the, the seed is the Word of God in the life of the believer. Not the unbeliever, but the believer. And as soon as the Word is sown in the life of the believer, what happens? The enemy comes to steal it. The enemy comes to scorch it. And the enemy comes to choke it. All three of those methods cause it to be unproductive, unfruitful. But he comes after the Word. You've got to guard it. The ones who guarded it were the ones who understood the truth. If we understand the truth, then the truth is guarded. Then we, we keep that going on. If I fully understand the truth, then the devil can't come along and compromise me. It's because I understand that 2 plus 2 equals 4, that no one else can come along and say, but 2 plus 2 equals 5. No, no, no. I understand 2 and adding two more, I understand it. It's not a formula that I memorized. It's an understanding I have. If I have two apples, I get two more, I have four apples. I understand that. And of course, it works for much more complex things than that. In Matthew 24 and verse 3, Now as he sat in the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And what's Jesus say to him? Look at the next verse, uh, 24.4. I didn't put it in here. I should, should have left that one in there too. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take 
heed that no one deceives you. What's he saying? (laughs) Know the truth. Have the truth on and don't let anyone come along and say something different that's outside of the realm of the word of truth. Be careful that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. It's important. The truth of God is mandatory. So Paul starts out with the armor of God and he starts off with the truth. Jesus, whenever he talks about the spirit of God, introduces him as the spirit of truth most often. When he comes to the disciples and they ask him about the end times, he says, be careful that no one deceives you. In other words, know the truth, guard the truth. So we see that the word of God, not just in what Paul's writing, but the word of God, the spirit of God, the things that they reveal to us, the truth is of utmost importance and must be guarded. We cannot just take it for granted. Ephesians 5, verse 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Well, how could they deceive? I mean, if they're empty words, how could they deceive us? Because we don't know they're empty if we don't have the understanding of the truth. It's the understanding of the truth that causes us to grab hold. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Empty words, persuasive words. Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the fallen away comes first and the man of sin is revealed and the son of perdition. So Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, says, let no one deceive you by any means. It's important for Paul to understand, to get people to understand, don't let people come in and deceive you. If a man comes out out and puts a billboard on the highway that says, Judgment Day coming on May 21st, what should we do? (laughs) Not believe him. (laughs) Not believe him. No. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come. Unless the falling away comes first. Not falling away. We, when we studied this before, this is what? The rapture. The falling away. It's just mistranslated there. because the, but the, What the word is referring to here is what Paul is saying. Let no one deceive you by any means. Because the Thessalonians were told by someone who came into their midst. The rapture has already happened. You are in the tribulation now. Because persecution was so great. And they were buying into this. And Paul said, let no one deceive you. For that day, what day? The day of the rapture will not come unless the rapture comes first. In other words, I'm putting my whole reputation on this, Paul says. I guarantee you, no tribulation until the church is pulled out. No tribulation until the church is pulled out. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. When is the man of sin uh, revealed? When the church is pulled out. We hinder him from being revealed. First John, verse 2 and 26. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There are people out there who try to deceive you. Now, in order for someone to try... And deceive you, they must know what? That what they're selling you is not the truth. The snake oil salesmen from the old times, when they would come along, they, they had to know what? This stuff don't work. But if I get in there and get enough people to, to believe it and buy it, and then get out of there before they can find out it doesn't work... <laughs> So they became known as, as snake oil salesmen because that was one of the things they sold. But there's a lot of other quick fixes, a lot of other things that they, they try and do. And all they had to do was get you to buy it and then move on to the next town to have somebody else do that. My favorite movies, favorite musicals, favorite movies, favorite stuff out there. Uh, music man. What was the music man? He's a snake oil salesman. He just wasn't selling snake oil. He was selling something else. He was there to try and deceive people. He knew he wasn't a musician. He knew he couldn't lead a band. But what did he want to do? 
I want to get you to buy into the idea and then get you to buy the stuff and then get out of here and move on to the next spot. They, were, they, they knew what they were selling was wrong. They knew it. Too many people in government know what they're selling is wrong. It isn't right. They know it. I'm not aware of this. I just saw this. I don't know if you heard, heard all this stuff. But you know, did, I, did I give you that one stat before? That if we, do not, if we don't increase spending from this point forward, in the next 10 years, the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, will score that as a $9.5 trillion cut. Did I tell you that fact before? If I didn't tell you that fact before, I should have because I was wanted to tell you before on that. If we just say from this point on, whatever we have in our budget, we are not going to do any more, they will score that over 10 years as a $9.5 trillion cut. Did we cut anything? No, we're just spending what we are. So a nine and a half trillion. How many? If, if, if Congress passed right now a bill and cut nine and a half trillion dollars in the next ten years, how many would say, "Wow"? And yet, if we don't increase spending, it's the way that they do the budgets. They do uh, the way they do the budgets. They have a term for it. And the way that they do it is they factor in an increase of six to ten percent every year. Well, the president came out and he even said that was true. He said, "If we don't increase spending, we will cut." Spending by over seven billion. Those were his words. He came out and said that over seven billion. Well, it is over seven billion. It'd be nine point five trillion. But it's not a cut. It's not a cut. And then when the president, Congress, Pelosi, all these uh, Harry Reid, all these guys want to come out and say about a four trillion dollar tax cut over the next ten years, what are they telling us? There's no cut. What we're saying is we're going to increase spending. By $5 trillion over the next 10 years. That's what they're saying. They know this to be true. You can hear their own words. And they know this to be true. But they keep putting it out like this. Now, you all know they passed that bill. You know, the increase of debt and all that. Do you know the day after that, the executive office of our government spent the most in one single day Ever in the history of our company, they incre- history of our country, they increased the deficit by about two hundred and eighty billion dollars in one day. One day, that's just about all the cuts that they said that were going to happen. <laughs> they spent it all in the one day. They're deceiving. They're deceptive. They are trying. I mean, all these guys up in Washington, anyone, Republican, Democrat, Independent, doesn't matter. If they advertise. Anything oh, that is under $9.5 trillion as a cut over the next 10 years, they are willingly and knowingly deceiving you. Anyone. I don't care who it is. They are deceiving you. Because the way they bill it right now, if they don't increase spending, they see that over the next 10 years as a $9.5 billion cut. See, they know it. When the Word of God talks about this, it's not just in the area of religion. It is in the area of of life. Do not let them deceive you with persuasive words. Don't let them deceive you. In order, uh, Rick Renner came out with a saying a long time ago when he did a, a series called The Judas Kiss. He said, in order for someone to be deceived, they must first be what? Deceived. In order for someone to be a deceiver, they must first be deceived. For the folks that are up on Capitol Hill, for the folks that are in, in other, other places, and, and they want to pitch something that's deceptive, the reason that they're doing it is because they have been deceived into thinking that if we can do this and get this good, that it will help. They've been deceived. There are people in the Christian circles whose goal is to deceive you. Whose goal is they know the truth but they're thinking, no, we need to get in there. We need to tell you something different. Pharisees, Sadducees, groups like that, did they know the truth? Well, they at least knew some of the truth. 
They knew more of the truth than they were saying. But when they came out and they taught the people, what did they teach them? The things that kept them in power. The things that kept people deceived. The things that would keep people from putting their eyes on the certain, certain things. Let no one deceive you by any means. Uh, where we over at First John. Sorry. For these things I have written to you concerning these, those who try to deceive you. They are out there and they are trying to deceive you. There are people who are going to try and deceive you on end times. There are people who are going to try and deceive you in regards to money and offerings. There are people who are going to try and deceive you in regards to what is salvation? Who is saved? How do you get saved? There are people that are going to try and deceive you about the gifts of the Spirit. There are people who are going to try and deceive you as to which parts of the Bible you should believe. There are people that are going to do that. You must beware and be understanding that they are out there. I'm not buying into the things that they had to say. I'm going to understand the truth. If I understand the truth, I won't be deceived. It's the same thing, just like what we understood, told you here. If you understand how Congress scores a cut, you will no longer be deceived. You no longer be deceived. When they come out and try and sell you on something else that's supposedly a cut. When the Word of God comes out and says, this is what has to happen for the end times to happen, and someone else comes over and says, no, but it's going to be this way, what do you do? Bring it back to the Word of God that we know and we understand. And then I cannot be deceived. The Word of God says that if possible, they may deceive even the elect. Why does it say that? Because if the elect hold on to what they know and understand revealed by the Spirit of truth, they cannot be deceived. You are scary to the devil. Scary to the devil. Because you cannot be deceived unless he can get in and take that belt of truth and loosen it. Tweak it somehow. Get it so that it's not so tight and it won't hold everything together. Now we just got to get in there just like Eve and just get her to think, has God really said? We got to get in there like we did with Abraham. Is God really going to bless you? We got to get in there like we did with Israel. Is God really going to provide for you? Is God ever going to deliver you? 1 John 3, verse 7. Little, little children, let no one deceive you. When he says, let no one deceive you, who is it up to? It's up to you. Just because someone deceived you, just because they were able to get in and deceive you, doesn't make it their fault. The Word of God says they're out there. They're trying to do that. This is what they, this is what they do. Now, don't you let anyone deceive you. How do I not let anyone deceive me? Understand... The truth. If you don't want it to be deceived in the area of politics, understand the truth. If you don't want to be deceived in how our country was founded, understand the truth. And most importantly of all, if you want to not be deceived in the way of the Word of God, understand the truth. If you understand it, no one can deceive you. They cannot do it. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Deception is seen as a major problem in the Word, and truth is given as a defense, one which we must guard. Deception is seen as a major problem in the Word, and truth is given as a defense, one which we must guard. Do not let yourselves be deceived. Some other areas of deception that went on. The Word of God and Daniel's uh, wonderful prophecies of the end times. He warned Israel. He said, Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. But there will be a forerunner. And the forerunner will happen during the Grecian Empire. And he said the forerunner will be born. And he said the house that it would be born to. What was in, If you remember back in your end times time, that Israel... The land of Palestine, when the Grecian Empire broke up, they went under the area of Egypt, the region of Egypt, called the King of the South. The King of the South. There was, uh, you know, Lysimachus, Cassander, Ptolemies, and um, Seleucus. 
Seleucus was the king of the north. Ptolemy was the king of the south. And Israel came under the king of the south. But when Daniel gave the prophecy, he says that one born to the Seleucid Empire would oppress Israel and would do all the things that Antichrist would do except for a couple. He falls short a little bit. Instead of three and a half years, it's three years. And there's a few other things that were just a little, little shy. But instead of leading, looking at all that, when, the, when the, the Seleucid Empire came to Israel and said, look, we want, to, we want to help you all out. The Ptolemies haven't been all that great to you. We're going to be better for you. Uh, you help us out and we're going to free you from them and then you come under us. And they said, okay. They didn't read the Bible. And they helped it out. And then I was, uh, I think that was Antiochus the Great. And I was either his son or his grandson, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes. They came on over. So they didn't know what the prophecy was. They know what the prophecy was. They would have been fine. They would have said, you know what? We know from the word of God that you guys are going to do this awful stuff. No, we're not going to do it. We're going to stay over here. But God said, even though I tell you ahead of time what's going to happen, it's still going to go on. Just like it was with Micaiah. I'm going to tell you ahead of time what's going to happen, but it's still going to happen this way. Because you're not going to avoid it. We don't listen to it. Do not be deceived. The first area, the first weapon that we're given is truth. It is imperative that we study the Word of God. It is imperative that we have the right people teaching us. It is imperative that we listen to the Holy Spirit because He is the Spirit of truth. It is imperative that we study the whole Word. It is imperative that we understand that the Word of God teaches and demonstrates everything that's important for us. Don't let anyone come along and say, well, the Word of God teaches this, but no one's ever done it that way. No, hang on to it. Well, that's the first area of guard. Truth. Here's the second. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what's the word say about righteousness? In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. So what's he saying there? These people hear this and they say, The Pharisees, they live such a holy life. And they're always doing this and they're always just, you know, they don't... And, and God says, No, it's all appearance. Unless your righteousness exceeds that. Well, how can my righteousness exceed someone who it's their full-time job to be righteous? And they've got a little scared at all that sort of stuff. But he's not saying live more righteously than them. He said unless your righteousness exceeds. How can your righteousness exceed that of religious leaders? In Matthew 6, verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Well, we can read that a couple of ways. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So I must make sure that every day I am more righteous and more righteous. And then I'm doing less and less sin. And that's a works mentality. Or he's trying to get something else into me. Acts chapter 13, verse 8. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and fraud, and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what, the, what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Again, back to verse 10. O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. You enemy of all righteousness. He's an enemy of righteousness because he's trying to pull people into deception to lead them in a way which is away from what Paul was teaching them. Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, that is, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, not works. Not work to work, but faith to faith. 
too often we're going after this work to work. And that's the pitfall that the enemy tries to get us into. How often have we seen religious people who are trying to be righteous by being good? What did they do? They let go of the truth and accepted a lie. How many times have you heard unsaved people say, well, I don't think I'll go to hell. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done anything really bad. What did they do? They were deceived. There's no, there's no truth there. And when the deception came in about a righteousness of based on works, they accepted it. But that's not so in the Word of God. The Word of God is, it's a righteousness based upon representation. Representation. Not by us doing Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. The righteousness of God apart from the law. The Pharisees taught a righteousness that exceeded the law. Here's the law. Now, there's, uh, I don't know, but in, in the Old Testament, there's not ten commandments in the Old Testament, folks. Uh, it, it's a, one of those things that came up. There are not ten commandments in the Old Testament. The Old Testament has a couple hundred. Not ten. We focus on the ten, but there's actually a couple hundred in there. There's a lot of them. So, with the, I, and I, I forget the actual number. I think it's somewhere in the area of 200 and something. Of all the laws, when you get all the eating laws and all the different things. And so, what the Pharisees came up with was, it, these are too hard for you to, to follow after, so we're going to make it easier for you. And instead of teaching you the, whatever number it is, laws that are in the Word of God, we've come up with our own set of laws. To help you fulfill the law of God. And their laws, I think, started out in the 600s and ended up over around 1,000. So by you following after these, and you would... You know, when it says, Thou shalt not work on the Sabbath. Well, they said, well, that's a little kind of vague. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, work would be any more than so many paces of walking. Unless you do that walking between meals. If you're eating at this house and need to walk to this house then whatever number of paces, whatever distance you can go, then um, that's fine. But otherwise, you shouldn't be doing that. You just got to sit around and do nothing. So what the Pharisees would do if they had a place they had to go was they would just set up a meal at the different places and then go over here and eat a little bit and go over here and eat a little bit and go over here and eat a little bit and go over here and eat a little bit and they could cover the distance they had to do on the Sabbath day and still fulfill the law. <laughs> Their law, not God's law. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, the Old Testament bear witness with all this. A righteousness that is apart from the law. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by what? His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, not us. Whom God set forth as a propitiation for His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be justified and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. You see how many times it's talking about His righteousness, His work, faith in Him. A righteousness that is apart from the law. And so when He says put on the breastplate of righteousness, it's a righteousness that is apart from the law, founded in the truth of the Word of God. So when the devil comes along and he tries to get us to understand condemnation because we haven't done things the way we should do them, and we're feeling bad and we're feeling guilty. He can undermine us. He can undermine us. And that's what he wants to try and do. He wants to say, well, you should look at how you did that. Look at how you let God down. Look at how you let the brother or sister down. Look at what you did over here. Oh, look at how you let God down by not doing this thing. And not fulfilling this or not going after this. Oh, yeah, I did. Oh, I'm no good. Oh, I wonder if I even get to heaven. Oh, how does God even... And how is God going to heal you? Look at what you did. Yeah. God won't heal me. How is God going to provide for you and help you and your finances? Look at what you're doing. Yeah, I don't deserve it. There's really no reason for me to come 
and ask God for that. What has he done? Through a wrong view of righteousness, he has disarmed you from the promises of God. From healing, from provision, from him being your defender. The breastplate of righteousness. It is not a righteousness of the law. It is a righteousness that is of faith. Abraham was saved how? And he's in the Old Testament. The New Testament talks about that a couple of times. Hebrews talks about him being justified by faith. I believe Romans even talks about him being justified by faith. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there's even a third place that he's talked about being justified by faith. David was talked about how he was justified by faith. And Jesus even bragged on him how he walked in and ate the showbread. He should die for that. I said, you see that, David? You went in there and ate the showbread. <laughs> he understood stuff. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation for our, for, by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So how is it that we walk in that righteousness? Be one who has faith in Jesus. And that's all. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Do not be deceived. In other words, hang on to the truth. Evil company corrupts good habits. How many times has the devil been able to get one over on us in that area? Oh, this won't hurt you. You're strong enough. Evil company corrupts good habits. That doesn't mean that you've got to put a shield up between you and all the unbelievers you might come in contact with. It's talking about close fellowship. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Look at what he says there. Awake to righteousness. He doesn't say earn it, achieve it. He says awake to it. Awake to righteousness. Righteousness is here. When you wake up in the morning and you awake to the morning... Did the morning just happen as soon as you woke up? The morning was there, right? And then all of a sudden you woke up to the morning. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. See, because you have been awakened to righteousness, now you can go in such a way as to not sin. First John walks in the same way. That because we've been forgiven, because we have a justifier, we can be without sin. But it's not our lack of sinning that causes our righteousness. It's our faith in Him. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Boy, they can't put it any more plainly than that, can they? For He, God, made Him... Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us. In other words, in our place, sin was put upon Him. Our sin was put upon Him. Because He was without sin, He could bear our sin. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. How do we become the righteousness of God in Him through this, by this verse? By our sin being put on Him. Not by us doing anything or living in a certain way. Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If righteousness did not come through the law, if it could not come through the law, then there is no set of rules and regulations that I can live up to that would bring righteousness to me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. It is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. If there was that possible for there to be any law for me to live up to that would have given me righteousness, he says certainly righteousness would have come by the law. So righteousness is apart from works. 
So the enemy tries to get us to pair it with works and thereby nullify it. That's what the enemy wants to try and do. He wants to corrupt the truth and get in there and take you, instead of pairing you with faith to believe for righteousness, the enemy tries to get us to pair it, righteousness, with works. And if I see righteousness as with my works, he thereby nullifies it. Look at Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we all, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. All our righteousness is like filthy rags. The best righteousness you can come up with is like filthy rags. The best. You can be the best person you can be, as righteous as you can be, and God says, yuck. What do you do with a filthy rag? Have you ever had a filthy rag at home? I mean, I, I mean the, the rag smells, stinks, it's dirty. It used to be white. It's now some shade of black and gray. You can smell it from the next room. And you come out there and say, ooh, what, it's wet, it's slimy, it's gooey. And what do you do? Bring it out and display it for all to see? No, you... If you, I mean, you don't even want to pick it up with your hands, do you? No, you want to get a stick or something outside and then just kind of lift it up with the stick and then put it into a plastic bag and wrap it up and then take it and put it in a trash can and, boy, you can't wait for trash day. Get rid of that thing because it's awful. That's what he says. It's like that. Whatever good you can do is like filthy rugs. To pursue God on a road paved with our works of righteousness is a journey of futility. To pursue God on the road paved with our works of righteousness is a journey of futility. Communion is given to remind us of the right road. And he says, this do as often as you do. It's by the blood. It's by the blood. Not by your works. It's by the blood. It's by his blood. Jesus said, this blood washes you from all sin. Now take a look at some people who, who uh, have trouble with this. Cain and Abel. They both brought sacrifices to God, did they? They brought the sacrifices to God, but Abel brought the blood of bulls and goats, which was looking forward to the blood that would be offered for them. But Cain didn't have that, and he didn't want to go get it, so he said, I'm just going to do the best I can. We're going to do some oranges and some apples and some grapes. And, and God didn't accept it, and he was mad. He came up with his own way. You cannot come up with your own way to be justified before God. You've got to do it the way God said and we saw the trouble that Cain and Abel got into. Cain got so mad, he went up and killed his brother. Why? Because he was deceived. Because he tried to get after righteousness another way. And his armor was down. His armor was down. If you're a Star Trek fan, you know the worst thing in the world is when you can't get the shields to be up. Worst thing in the world. Bad things happen on Star Trek when you can't get the shields up. Captain Kirk over there talking to Scotty. I need more power in the shields. I can't give it to you, Captain. <laughs> it's been, you got to protect the. You got to protect the ship. You got to protect your life. And he's given you this. Paul said again, finally, brethren, above all things, you got to get this. You are in a spiritual battle. That truth is your belt. That's the center. That is the focal point. Of all things, is the truth of God. The truth. Hang on to that truth. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Hang on to that truth. Now, then there's righteousness. Your salvation hangs on this. You've got to understand righteousness. Do not let a false type of righteousness come in. This is what protects you. This is what guards those vital organs. This is what protects you. It's part of your armor. It's part of your, your, your protection against the enemy. Because he's coming in. He's going to try and... and, and kill you. He's going to try and get you. And if he can get you on a wrong road, Israel got off on idolatry. What happens when Israel got off on idolatry? Righteousness for them was looking ahead to Jesus Christ. They brought the blood of bulls and goats and so forth for the purpose of looking ahead to the Messiah who would be provided, who would be the final sacrifice. He was going to be it. And so they kept looking to that. When they went off against idols, they're not looking 
to Jesus Christ. Their faith is no longer there. They're on the wrong road. And the enemy's got them. The enemy's got them. If the enemy can get you to pursue a wrong kind of righteousness, then the enemy can, can control your actions. Controls your thoughts in this area. People who are involved in the wrong kind of righteousness are always trying to pursue pleasing God. They're always wondering, have I pleased God enough? And they're captivated by those thoughts. They're not freed up. They're captivated. They don't know if they've done enough. They're not out there battling for God because they're concerned, am I where I need to be? How can I tell other people about sin? I'm a sinner. How can I look at my impurities? Look at my faults. I can't help out other people. And that's what the devil wants you. If he can get you in the area of truth, if he can get you in the area of righteousness, he's neutralized you as a soldier and you cannot do him any harm. No harm at all. So he's going to come against you in truth. He's going to try and come against you in the area of righteousness. Can you see how the enemy has tried to come against these things? Not weapons that are carnal, but weapons that are spiritual. But if you will guard the truth that God has given you, if you will hang on to what He has taught us in righteousness, that it is by faith that we believe and we receive His righteousness, it's not by what we do, it's by what He does. Then I can go out there and lay hands on the sick. And when the devil comes to me and says, How can you lay hands on the sick today? Look at what you did this morning. I say, Righteousness of God. Righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. It's not my own righteousness. I wear His. When Jesus gave the, the parable of the wedding feast, and He talks about the cloaks that came in. Someone was in there and did not have on the, the, the right co- coat. And he was kicked out. It wasn't their coat. It was the coat provided for them. Why are you not wearing a wedding garment? Get out of here. You don't belong in this place. You didn't accept the wedding garment that came from the host of the wedding. You didn't accept it. You didn't put it on. You put on your own filthy rags. And they have no place in here. I gave it to you. When you came through the door, I presented you with a wedding garment for you to wear. And you rejected it. And you threw it out for what you were wearing yourself. And God says, I don't care about what good you can do. Believe and receive what Jesus did. He was your representation. Because He led a perfect, sinless life, I see you as a perfect, sinless person. Hang on to that. Because the devil wants to try and neutralize you. Forget belt. Forget breastplate. Forget that image. Get this understanding. Truth is trying to be compromised in you. And righteousness is being attacked. And there are too many religions out there that are trying to get people to focus on what they need to do to be righteous when it's what He did. And by faith we accept it. By faith we accept it. This is a weapon. This is a defense. When you are clothed with this, you can go out in the midst of battle and you are protected. The enemy can't get near you. You're protected. The enemy does not have the belt of truth. He does not have the breastplate of righteousness. They don't have it. They are unprotected. And here we go out into war and we've got the full battle armament on, spiritually speaking, and they have nothing. So the best they can do is to try and neutralize our armor to get it on an equal par with them. Otherwise, they are sitting ducks. We can expose them with ease. That's why Paul so easily went into cities and exposed people for their, the faults they had and what they were teaching in the area of righteousness. So easily exposed them in the area of falseness and the truth. Because the truth stands. No matter what, <laughs> the truth stands. No matter what. What righteousness we have through Him, that's going to bring us through. Father, we thank you for the work that is done in Jesus Christ for us. We thank you, Father, that we walk according to the righteousness that has been provided for us. We thank you, Father, that we won't accept things that the spirit of truth and the word of truth have not revealed to us. We will guard what we know 
We will not let others come along and compromise what we already know to be truth from your word. Because that is part of our armor. That is part of our protection. We realize, and though we were undeserving of it, that you freely gave to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we wear that with honor. As in a wedding feast, wearing a cloak that was not brought by us, paid for by us, or in any way earned by us, but it was freely given. And we put it on with gladness. It's Jesus Christ. It's His righteousness. And when the enemy wants to come and remind us of our faults and our failures and why we can't be used by God, we simply say, I am the righteousness of Christ. Christ. I wear His righteousness, not my own. My own righteousness, as good as it could be, is a filthy rag to Him. But His righteousness is glorious. And the enemy cannot neutralize us. Glory be to God. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, peace is next. And uh, maybe some other, other ones in, in that. Is this a different way of looking at the, uh, the armor? Are, can you see this consistently in Scripture? How this is... And I, we only covered the, you know, really the surface. I hope we got you thinking about it. Because you know enough Scripture, you know enough of the Word, that you can begin to go through the stories in the Old Testament, the stories in the New Testament, and see where truth was laid down and the enemy got in. To see where truth was held on to and the enemy did not get in. To see where righteousness was let go and the enemy got in. To see where righteousness was held on to and the enemy was neutralized. That's what we need. Glory be to God. Comments, questions, things to add?